0: I'm so glad that you're with us and that you're watching tonight. Well, if you notice, I kind of took took the verses tonight because I want you to be able to look back at them. Normally, I put a lot of verses in with the scripture. But I'm covering a lot of of ground tonight, and so in order to cover all of that ground, I thought it would be helpful if I just went ahead and let's put the whole text here and take a look at it. So beginning with Mark chapter 1 and verse 21 tonight, we're going to talk about the authority of Christ this evening. Jesus and his companions went down to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." But Jesus reprimanded him. Now, I love the New Living Translation. You know that. But in this case, that word reprimand is not strong enough. That's, he's rebuked him. He's, this is a, uh, When I think of a reprimand, maybe I've given a reprimand to one of my children. But this is an, an instance where Jesus in authority rebukes the, the spirit in this man. But Jesus reprimanded him or rebuked him. Be quiet. Come out of the man he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, circle that word in your outline tonight, think of a shriek. At that moment, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. Well, the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Now that word quickly, you need to kind of circle it too, because Mark will use this word immediately, quickly, soon thereafter. That phrase will happen a lot in Mark. It's he's writing to a Roman audience, as we've already talked about, and here he's going to there's just one thing right after another that's going to happen. Well, so this is the same day. So this is the reason we're taking this whole passage together. So Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, and they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up, and then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. and The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons, but because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. This is, again, I love the book of Mark because of how quick-paced it is, but this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. Jesus goes to the synagogue to teach. Jesus goes to Simon's home. He heals his mother, and then... The news about him spreads so much that by evening you have all of these various needy people coming to him. You'll find in the book of Mark that not only are the religious leaders threatened by Jesus, but the demonic powers are threatened by Jesus. Satan recognizes there's something real taking place here and that his stronghold, his kingdom, is being threatened. As a matter of fact, you'll read in the epistles how Paul writes about the manifestation of the kingdom of light, of how God brings in the kingdom of light through Christ. The second thing you need to see is that Jesus, when he's ministering, you would think he would want the publicity that maybe the demons were saying, you know. Uh, He's the Holy One of God, but instead he shuts that down. Just like Paul shut down the the little slave girl in the book of, and excuse me, not in the book of Philippians, but in the city of Philippi, he shut her down, even though she was saying true things. There's a little cultural thing here that you might not know. Maybe you do know, but I'll share it with you anyway. And that is, in the days of the Bible, in this time that we're reading about, when you knew someone's name, that meant you actually exercised a little bit of control over them. So what the demons were doing by naming Jesus, they were challenging his authority and Jesus shut them down, and, and, and that shriek or that, 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 that scream that you heard, that's pretty common throughout the Bible as you read that. Now, sometimes people ask me, does that still happen today? And of course the answer to that is yes, unfortunately. And we'll talk about that maybe a little later in our Q&A session this evening tonight, a little mo- longer. There's another thing that I think that you need to see here is that when jesus sets this man free and i do like the way that the new living translation handles this here he says the spirit left him the spirit jesus drove the spirit out of him that's an important point to consider even as we do ministry today but here's here's what i think the principal factor is before we break this down don't get called up on demons stay focused on jesus You know, if you stay focused on Jesus, if you meet something demonic, Christ will guide you and Christ will direct you how to do. The movies today, and I've never watched anything like The Exorcist. I don't need to. I heard Billy Graham say one time, I refuse to open my mind to that sort of stuff. But they always show, just like if you watched um, Lord of the Rings, you know, when the Balrog comes up, they always show these demonic powers getting bigger and bigger. And of course, obviously Gandalf defeats him, but the point is when Jesus comes on the scene, the powers of hell don't get bigger and bigger. They get smaller and smaller, and their power is broken, and that's an important point for us to remember. Don't let the culture suck you in to what they're saying. Christ is greater. Christ is bigger. Can you say amen to that? He is greater. He's bigger. So let's look at this because what we're seeing is is authority. Let me show you some examples of authority. Recently, King Charles became the king of England. I, he's in his 70s, I guess. I don't know how old he is. My wife could tell you right away because she's about all things English. Excuse me, Paul was here. I should have remembered that, you know. There's Miriam's Dictionary, and then there's Paul. So he's 72 years old. Well, the king has inherited authority. He came in not because of any merit that he had or anything that he had done, but he just simply, he's inherited authority, and that's why he's the king. The president of a corporation has delegated authority. The authority that, that the president of a corporation has has been given to him. A professor has achieved authority and by achieved authority what I'm saying is it's through his, his writings or her writings it's through the, the research that they've done, through the tests that they've done that they, that they achieve authority. Jesus however in the scripture is the source of all authority and that's What you need to remember as you read the Bible, because you're seeing power and authority. Let me illustrate it like this John Wimber used to say this a lot A traffic officer has the authority to stop a Mack truck, but he lacks the power to stop the Mack truck. So he might hold up his hand, and if the truck driver obeys him, he can stop the truck. But if the truck driver doesn't obey him, He's got to get out of the way so he doesn't get run over, but Jesus has not only the authority but He has the power to stop and to break all of that. Malcolm Muggeridge, an English who became a, an English writer, but who was an atheist and became a passionate follower of Christ. Listen to what Muggeridge says, and I thought this was a good example of somebody that understood authority. I may, I suppose, pass for being a relatively successful man. "...people occasionally stare at me in the streets, that's fame. I can fairly easily enough earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the internal revenue, that's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they take care to, may partake of trendy diversions that's a pleasure." It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million and them all together, and they are nothing less than nothing A positive impediment measured against one drink of the living water that Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. What's he saying? Because of what I've achieved, because of what I've earned, and because of the fame I have, I'm counted somewhat as an authority. Now, he's been dead for quite a while. But people like myself still quote Muggeridge. I will see occasionally in Time Magazine or New York Times or Wall Street Journal, they still quote Malcolm Muggeridge. He's considered authority. But he says, you take that and it is nothing compared to just the eternal life that Christ is offered. Do you, are you just, okay, I didn't know if you needed something back there or not. So when you talk about the authority of Jesus, even today, there's still two responses to Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, you see those responses. You see, number one, how the demons respond to the authority of Jesus. They feel threatened by it. They try to challenge Jesus. They even try to exert some control over Jesus. And then, of course, you see the wonder of the people at the authority of Jesus. The scribes, this passage is not criticizing the scribes. It's just simply saying they have studied the law they have studied it, they teach it, and when they teach, it, so they're just teaching the law that they've read. It's like, if you've ever had a professor, I had only one professor like this, that if you've ever watched um, Mr. Bean when he went to church, and you hear the pastor just kind of droning on and on and on, you know, and he's followed it's like, well, we had a, prof- it was one of those is one of those classes everybody had to take. We had like 500 people in the class. And we all just used to fall asleep while Dr. So-and-so was teaching because it was just a drawn on and on and on. You know, I passed the test not because it was an interesting professor but because I had to to be able to take the rest of the courses I needed. Here's my point. Sometimes preachers, teachers, whether it's public school teachers or whether it's a lecturer, John Maxwell said it best. He said there are communicators and there are speakers. A speaker doesn't care whether you get it or not. As a matter of fact, I am sure that professor probably didn't care very much whether we got, that was a 500-student class, couldn't know everybody. But a communicator really wants you to get it. And what they were experiencing, I think what Maxwell was saying right there, the scribes went through what needed to be taught. It was like a liturgical calendar. They went through what needed to be taught. And that's not a shot at a liturgical calendar. But when Jesus taught, there was authority, and he wanted you to get it. Get it? Good. Okay. So that's what he wants to happen. He wants you to get it. What you see here is the authority of Jesus defeats the demons and heals the helpless. It's not just sick people that are healed, but it's people with all kinds of needs, as we saw at the end of that chapter or the end of the passage we read tonight. Here's an important point I think you need to get. The possessed man was not a monster. Do you remember the man that when Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee to Gadara and delivered him and how he wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus told him to go back and tell why. He was not a monster. However this came about, however this happened, this man was possessed and controlled, actually the word is demonized, by, a, by an evil spirit. And so to really understand divine healing and deliverance, we have to return to the Bible, and we have to study what the Bible says. We have to pray about what the Bible says we got to offer forgiveness where the Bible tells us to offer forgiveness. And then we need to trust and say those appropriate verses aloud. It's important to understand touch, the anointing with oil. Remember how often Jesus would touch the untouchable, the leper, the first time that someone had felt for years the touch of a human hand. Sometimes when I'm praying, people will come lay their hand on my shoulder. I can't tell you what that touch means. I like that. But when somebody comes and they go, no, Lord, just help, Pastor, and start shaking me, I'd, I'd rather you not do that. But if you just kind of lay your hand on me, that just, that's encouraging. And Jesus would touch people and pray with them. Avail yourself of medical help. Divine healing doesn't mean that we, that we discount that God works through doctors and God works through medication. Now, let me back up on these for just a little bit right here because I think this is so important. Years and years ago, when I was in my 20s, I met Dr. Paul Younger Cho. I had, was, was blessed to have an opportunity to be with him alone, and, and we talked for quite a while. And I remember saying to Dr. Cho, because I was still struggling with a lot of health issues in those days, And Dr. Cho taught me the value, he says, just because you read a promise in the Bible, that doesn't mean that promise necessarily has come alive in your heart. It's kind of what I think the people were saying about the scribes. It wasn't that the scribes were being criticized, they were comparing somebody who knew what the Bible said, and could talk about what the Bible said, and somebody who knew what the Bible said, and believed what the Bible said. Does that make sense? I know the speed limit is 70 miles an hour. You know that I believe that the speed limit is 70 miles an hour when I drive 70 miles an hour. Don't mean to bring any conviction or condemnation in here tonight, but I know that I believe the speed limit. Now, I often, when I'm driving, suddenly will see brake lights ahead of me Come on, and they start doing that, and when that happens, I know there's an authority somewhere up ahead, and suddenly I really believe in 70 miles an hour. Again, no conviction, no condemnation. The place we want to be in life is where we know and we believe and we walk like that every day, and I remember one of the things that Dr. Cho told me, he says, meditate on that word, pray on that word until it becomes alive in your heart. God still heals people today. God still delivers people today. There's physical healing. There's emotional healing. I think Psalms 23 is one of the most beautiful passages that, that there is. When you look at Psalms 23, you look at the, the, how the imagination is used there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Something about that, you can imagine that, can't, can't you see that right now? You, could just, you can just see and imagine Christ being with you. You can imagine him giving you the rest, the peace you need. There's emotion in that. There's a sense of, of connection that Christ is there with you. When, you. when you think about that and you imagine it, ah, mm, think about when you were young. For some of us, that's going way back, so we're having to dust off some brain cells. Remember, okay, remember when you were dating, and you would imagine what it was like when you married your wife, or you married your husband. I bet you even remember the songs that you sang to one another. One of the songs that was popular when Becky and I were dating was, My Eyes Adore You, Though I Never Laid a Hand on You, Still My Eyes Adored You, you know? It was just one of those great songs. Honey Tree took a, a very popular song and made Christian lyrics out of it, and we sang that to one another. It was emotional. I'm getting a little bit emotional thinking about it, you know. I'd be glad when church is over tonight. There's a sense of connection. The, the shepherd is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Boy, Psalm 63. Think of this. Oh God, you are my God in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Now, when I think about that, that really gets me because I'm used to thinking about I belong to God, but it's quite different to think about that God belongs to me. God has given himself to us in a covenant relationship through the cross of Christ and what Jesus has done. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. Jesus even says he is our friend and our brother. All of those things, there's connection for us. It's relational. And so in this passage tonight, for both the demoniac and for the lady, for the mother-in-law that Christ touched and healed, what you're seeing is real joy, real happiness always begins with the touch of Jesus. It always begins with his power and with his authority. So I would recommend three things for people who want to be healed is first of all, Obey what the Scriptures tell us. Let's ask the elders to anoint us with oil and pray for us. Let's believe in the power of prayer in the name of Jesus. Now, let me say this, especially for those of you who are listening online tonight. Just because I pray in the name of Jesus doesn't mean God's bound to answer that prayer. Because when I pray in the name of Jesus, I need to be sure I'm praying according to what the Word of God says that Jesus wants in my life at that point. So I might say tonight, Lord, I would really like to have a 1974 Mach 1 Mustang. I would like for it to be that electric blue that they had, you know. That's probably not the will of God for my life right now. It might feel like the will of God, but it's not the will. And you ask me why I'm thinking, because a friend of mine just bought a fully restored one, and it is boss. It is really boss. The second thing I'd say is prioritize. Once you pray for healing, deliverance, or maybe a financial miracle in your life, or for your marriage, look, this is important. Once you pray in the name of Jesus, you're saying, I'm going to get my priorities in order. I'm going to prioritize. If I'm praying to be healed, then I need to start doing things, living a healthy lifestyle, exercise, dieting, sleeping, resting right, taking care of myself. If I'm praying for a financial miracle, I need to get my financial house in order. If I'm praying for a relational miracle, say in my marriage, then I need to be sure I love my wife the way Christ loves the church. And think that through. And the same thing for the wife. I've got to keep going. I could go on with that. But in this text tonight, what we see are three kinds of people. We see those who needed help. Those who needed help. Then we saw those who brought family and friends and neighbors. They are already becoming great commission disciples. They're bringing their families and their cousins by the dozen. They're bringing the people they love to know Jesus. But they're also those that just stand around and watch. And today... The world is full of people that just want to watch. Churches are filled with people who just want to watch and never discover what their spiritual gift is and what their ministry is. When God heals us, He heals us in order to serve. When God heals us, He heals us in order to serve. And you might say to me, well, Pastor, isn't everybody called to serve? Absolutely. But I look around this room tonight, and I know most of you, God's done something for each and every one of you. And God didn't do that for us, for us to just kind of consume it and absorb it. But God did that in our lives so that, like Peter's mother in law, we could get up and we could begin to serve others. So we need to look carefully in life where we're serving. And in case you're wondering about that, then the question you have to ask yourself then, who's my authority? Who's my authority? For the first time, for the first time in American Christianity history, I can't speak to European Christianity on this subject, but for the first time in American Christianity history, 86% of evangelicals said the local church cannot tell me whether I'm a Christian or not. Now, when you think about that statement, maybe you go immediately, well, I agree with that. Nobody's got a right to tell me I'm not a Christian or not, but there was a time where we learned to submit to one another, and I'm not talking about legalistic standards, you know, do you drink, smoke, and go with girls or do, or whatever. I'm just saying we have lost that mutual accountability to one another because we become an authority to ourselves rather than yielding to the authority that Christ gives us in the body of Christ. So the second question is, who are you listening to? Are you listening to someone that drones on and on? They know the facts. But like Dr. Cho said to me many years ago in my 20s, the fact that you know it and the fact that you believe it are two separate things. I believe it, of course. I believed it then. But it opened up a whole new vista in my walk with Christ and my relationship with Christ when I learned the value of what David did constantly meditating upon the word of the Lord. What Peter was doing on a rooftop of a man by the name of Simon who was a tanner, which by the way, look at me, no Jew would have ever been staying with a tanner of hides because he would have been unclean. But Peter was there because God was already working in his heart. So he we was staying in this home of this man that would have been permanently unclean according to his job of, of curing the hides of dead animals. And there God spoke to him about don't call anything, speaking of people, unclean that I've called clean. There's a real value to meditating upon the Word of God. And it's awfully hard to meditate if we don't take time to read the Word and think about what we've read, journal about what we've read, and do what we do here on Wednesday nights after, this, after we're finished teaching, and that is take the time to talk with one another and ask questions. And then finally tonight, a passionate follower of Christ is passionate about God's Word. He's passionate about God's Word. The people were amazed at His teaching, for He taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Her name was Miss Jones, not Mrs. Jones, Miss Jones. She taught me how to read and to write. Her name was Kate Holloman. Kate Holloman taught me how to memorize Scripture when I was a child. Matter of fact, my sisters and I were talking about Kate Holloman just recently. And even after I had finished college and was in the ministry, every time I came to Macon, I went to Kate's house She owned a little grocery store in Macon, Georgia, right off of Mercer University Boulevard. And I would go to Kate's, and we would sit, and we would talk about the Lord, and I would tell her over and over, Kate, I passed Old Testament survey. I passed New Testament survey. I passed doctrines class because of what you taught me as a child. Teachers are influential in our lives, aren't they? I mean, they're very powerful in our lives. But here's what I've learned about good teachers. They know who they're teaching. They really believe what Maxwell said. They want you to get it. They change lives. They create in your mind opportunities. And they also heal. His name was Joe DeFore. Joe played football for the University of South Carolina. He was a Gamecock and for a brief time in my life, when I was mesmerized by Brother Joe, as we used to call him, I abandoned the Bulldogs to be a Gamecock fan. And then when Brother Joe got out of my life, I went back to the Bulldogs. But Brother Joe was healing in my life. I was a sick, crippled kid, and Brother Joe kept saying, Denny, God is going to do something in your life. Don't listen to the kids that mock you. Don't listen to the kids that make fun of you. Denny, one day you're going to travel the world, and all of those things came about. His daughter is still a personal friend of mine that lives in Macon. Here's what I want you to know. There's something powerful about the Word of God that if you immerse yourself in it and you're passionate about Christ, you're passionate about His Word, then when you meet the sick, and when you meet the demonized, you have Christ's authority in your life to bring healing and to bring deliverance. Isn't that good news? Let's pray together tonight. Father, we love you with all of our hearts and we thank you so much for this message tonight. We thank you for what you speak to us. And I ask you that we will not just be scribes, but we will be people that have that personal, relational connection with you, that we imagine what it must have been like to walk with you, that we can smell it, we can see it. And finally, Father, that today we'll bring those realities into the world that you have called us to serve you in. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching tonight. Please join us here on Sunday morning. I'll look for you then. God bless you. Good night. you for joining us today for woodland church and our youtube channel i hope you'll take a moment click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted we're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on we want to share those with you and we hope That they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.